0: Okay, I want everyone to scoot three rows back. Just kidding, you're on the back, that was a, enough humor for the day, no more of that. All right, a little tip for you, if you want to wake up, what was that? anita thank you, Anita. She's always looking for extra Christian points sitting in the front. <laughs> a tip for you, if you want to get yourself going in the morning, is to uh, not eat for several hours and then uh, drink a bunch of caffeine and... Uh, really gets you going, a little shaking but to it, a few side effects, but if you want that extra boost, I recommend it. It's kind of what I'm running on this morning, so if things come out a little jittery or blame the caffeine, okay? Not me. He is alive and, and we're grateful to be here this morning and uh, we need to keep in perspective, like we said, that everything changes. We're going to be talking about the armor of God, so if you want to turn to Ephesians 6, we'll start in verse 10. And one of the main themes that we're going to be talking about today is warfare. Warfare. Life is hard. Anyone agree? Life is hard. Between the broken world we live in and the broken bodies that we hold, life is hard. And what makes it even tougher is the fact that we are facing an enemy that is far stronger than we are. He is. He is stronger than you. He is stronger than me. Immeasurably. And the prince of this world, the the devil, Satan, has enormous strength, and he's our foe. His armies that he rules over and directs, his armies would be convicted of every war crime that there is, because he does not fight fair, does he? He's a deceiver. He's a liar. There's a song from a group that I like uh, called Cadman's Call. I don't know if anyone still listens to them or not, but... One of their songs says this, the prince of the Airs been beaten, but the loser still fights. We know as Christians that Christ is alive, therefore the war's been won, right? It's over. We have the victory. Christ secured the victory. But Satan hasn't clued into that yet, has he? And so he still fights. The next line says, death is on a long leash, stealing my friends to the night. And as you uh, continue to to get older, as you continue to to go on, you find that more and more of the people that you love, more and more of the people that proclaim to know Christ will turn and walk away. Time is an incredible sifter of men. And the longer that you're here on the earth and the longer that you're susceptible to the devil's ways and even our own flesh's desires, the more we see people walking away from the faith. See, one of the great Tricks of Satan. One of the greatest tricks that he has, however, is to make us forget that we're at war. He tricks us into thinking that we're not at war. And so what happens is he neutralizes us by feeding our flesh, our own flesh's longing for apathy. And so we simply volunteer to, to take a nap or to sit down right on the battlefield, right there. And what a great tactic! to neutralize millions of believers who have apathy because they simply forget that we're at war. And so longing to not have to work and not have to rely and not have to have faith on the Lord Jesus that we're willing to just sit down in in apathy. And so the verses that we read today will attempt to to wake us up, to get us going. Tiffany, you were were asleep. That's why I did it. Yeah. (laughs) And so I hope that's that's the prayer, that as we go through these verses, that we'll remember we're at war. There is a war raging for your soul every day, for your children's souls, for your spouse's souls. And if we are not ready, we will be defeated. We will be carried away. Let's pray. Father, I pray that the message today from your Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, would wake us up. God, that we would be able to not even resist your spirit that that you would overwhelm us in such a way with your truth and with your power that you would cause our soul to waken, God, if there's areas of my life not if the areas of my life, God, that have apathy and atrophy and and rebellion against you, God, please today use your words, use your spirit to uh to just destroy that, and instead replace it with the spirit of the living God, I, I just pray, Father that uh, we would wake up, realize we're at war, and that you would equip us today to fight. I pray this in your name. Amen. We're going to read Ephesians 6, 10 to 13. So read, or I'll read it out loud. I know that's confusing when I say read with me, then people start reading out loud, and then it's awkward, and they have to stop them. So you just look at it and read silently, and I'm going to read with my mouth out loud. Okay? and having done everything to stand firm. I'm going to be actually, my passage is verse 14, but I wanted to touch on verse 10 to 13 because understanding of the context and understanding of the verses before we start describing the actual pieces of the armor of God is so essential and so important that we understand what's going on here. So we read in verse 10 where it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord. I want to present to you this morning that perhaps Everything that you have thought about what it means to be a Christian soldier, that's hard to say, Christian soldier, is perhaps a tad misplaced. You see, a soldier in our mind is supposed to be strong, they're supposed to be fit, like me. I was hoping for a lot less laughter, thank you. They're supposed to be trained to wreak havoc on the enemy with guns blazing. Think Rambo, think G.I. Joe. Some of you don't even know who they are, and that makes you feel really old, okay? Think warrior, right? And that's what we're conditioned to think of as a soldier. But the picture that Paul wants to place here is, uh, is of a Christian soldier that's very different. In fact, Paul, not even once in Ephesians 6, will talk about how strong and capable we are as Christian soldiers. He, just, he doesn't mention it. He doesn't talk about the great agility and and, and the great uh, endurance that we as Christian soldiers have. He he doesn't talk about it. In fact, just the opposite. He points out that only when we are leaning on the capable and strong and brave and impenetrable God are we truly Christian soldiers. See, in verse 10, he never says... Be really strong and show off your strength and might. What does he say? And this is key. What does he say? He says, be strong in the... Be strong in the... In the Lord. He doesn't say be strong in Jess. He doesn't say be strong in KT or in Nita. He says be strong in the Lord. Not in our own strength. Not in who we are. Not even our own personality or our ability to do certain things. Our strength as Christian soldiers is misguided when it's placed anywhere else except in the Lord. And the strength of His might. The strength of His might. I want to point out another fascinating piece of this passage, and and again, may go against our preconceived notions about what it means to be a soldier, but that's a good thing, I think, because God calls us through His servant, Paul, in this passage, that we stand firm. That we stand firm. Now, when we think of a soldier, like we said, guns blazing, lots of shooting, lots of great moves, kill shots. But what this is talking about when it says stand firm is really a defensive stance. It is not the offensive. It's it's a, and all the language that's used in this passage indicates that we're we're not supposed to be attacking or on the offense, but rather we are on defense. We are to protect, to hold, to stand firm against. So a practical lesson emerges from that. And it's this. We find out that we're not supposed to seek out or seek after Satan and his demons. It's not our job to go after spiritual warfare. It's not our job to seek him out and to find out about him. And and, and really, this is interesting because so many... Uh, people inside of our Christian faith have this really unhealthy fascination with the powers of darkness, and if not, you know, it can become even an obsession. Whereas we're they're focusing more on the powers of darkness than on the living God, and that's not what we're called to. You see, we're called to stand. Our call has nothing to do with Satan, really, but it's rather to resist, to stand firm, or to protect and struggle against when he attacks. And he will attack, won't he? Think in your life this last week, has he attacked? And maybe he just plays on your own flesh, because your own flesh will attack you as well. That piece of you that still fights against what God said is right and true and good. And Satan will use that, and oftentimes if he can use that, he doesn't have to do anything else. And Satan will attack you. If he's not attacking you right now at this morning, moment uh, morning, wait till this afternoon, because he will. We know about him. Turn to 1 Peter 5, if you could. It says this: be of sober spirit. This is verse 8. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary. More warfare talk. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Who's heard this verse before? Right? Who's experienced this verse before? Hmm. Verse 9, But resist him, firm in your faith, So similar to what he's called us in Ephesians 6 here, but now in Peter in in his chapter in verse 5. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, this is so great, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Oh, man, isn't it wonderful that in the passage that highlights the evil of Satan, how devastating he can be and how much strength he has, right after it tells us about that, it talks about the faithfulness of the one who will deliver and strengthen and keep us. Isn't that God's grace? A picture of, of the destruction and then the answer, Christ himself. I'm so thankful that that second piece of verses is in there when we see that there's a roaring lion waiting to devour us because we do not have to have fear. And this message this morning is not to bring us fear, but to empower us. And I think we'll keep seeing that hopefully. You see, God's armor, here's the last point I'll make before I move on to actually examining the the armor itself. God's armor is not meant to weigh us down. Did you know that? God's armor is not meant to to weigh us down, and I'd like to, to make uh, some observations on this. I think when we start to think about all the armor and the thing, pieces of things that we're supposed to put on, and then we start thinking about all the commands that God has, and we start uh, reading through it, there are times when we, when we start to have a mental frustration, a, a mental brain cramp where we say, how am I, I going to do this? I can't do all this? What is this? And there's a a temptation to start to feel overwhelmed or weighed down by all the things that you and I have to do to keep up this Christian faith. And I want to use this morning through God's word to really hopefully demolish that mindset. Because as we read on and as we continue to see here, uh, God's armor is not meant to weigh us down. See, Paul starts to write about the armor of God and He'll begin to describe uh, each piece of the armor in detail. And remember, this is important to remember, Paul is writing while he's sitting in prison. So he's, he's probably sitting there writing this passage about the armor of God, and he's staring at the Roman soldier who's guarding him right there in prison, the, the, the soldier who's fully armed in all of his armor. And so Paul sitting in prison, writing the letter to us, looking at the soldier now, with him being a spiritual person inspired by the Spirit of God, begins to make visual pictures for us so that we can learn a little bit about what the Lord expects of us through this. And so he's looking at the soldier, and I can imagine as he's staring at the soldier, a lot of uh, some great interactions between Paul and soldiers throughout. This one is not in the Word of God, but I'm guessing this is how it kind of went that the, the soldier was like, Paul, seriously quit staring at me. You're really frustrating me. No, you cannot wear my armor. Stop, Paul. Go to sleep. Everyone else is. And he's just staring at this guy, really frustrating him, annoying him. And But he's getting the point that this man, this Roman soldier taking his job of guarding Paul because it wasn't easy because sometimes God would intervene and Paul would just walk out. He was taking it seriously. Now the armor of a Roman soldier weighed between 60 and 90 pounds. 60 and 90 pounds. That's heavy. Nicole, what is um, full, full, guard, full gear for the guard, the packs, all the gear, what do you think that weighs? 60 and 70 pounds. Tell me what that's like to go on a hike with that stuff. Uh, pretty grueling. Pretty grueling. And the Roman soldiers, when they would put on all their armor, it was 60 to 90 pounds. That's heavy. That will weigh a man down and weigh Nicole down even. In fact, in many of the, the enemies of the Roman army would wait till the end of the day after the Roman army had been marching for hours and hours, and they would attack at the end of the day. Why? Because these guys were worn out, lugging 90 pounds around on your body and hiking all day will do it. Now th- not many people were successful even with their studs because even when they were worn out, they still beat up people pretty good. But that was when they would attack because they knew, man, these guys got to be tired after carrying that armor around. And so that would be the temptation to hear about all this armor and start thinking, this is, man, this is heavy. This is going to weigh me down. It's easy for Christians to start being overwhelmed by the weight of all that's being asked of us. And and I agree, I've been there. And this is why, because on our own, apart from the strength of His might, it is overwhelming, isn't it? On our own, apart from the Lord Jesus, it's impossible. It's not even doable. And the frustration comes when we try to do it ourselves. You see, when it's the Lord's to-do, it's not a burden on us. And we'll talk more about it. I wanted to illustrate this with the story of David and Goliath. Raise your hand. David and Goliath, remember the story? We need, we need, and we're going back through Sunday school. No, okay, we're going to take this curriculum. Not everyone raised their hand. David and Goliath, the big, thank you. All right, here we go. 1 Samuel 17 tells the story. Goliath, this freakishly large, giant man, stands before the Israelites taunting them about their God and intimidating them and scaring the silly right out of them. And by contrast, we have David, a boy. He's described as a boy, a youth. And we know that David is ready to fight. Everyone else in the the army, these are grown, grown men, are ready to run. And David, a boy, a youth, is ready to fight. And do you remember Saul and David's interaction when David goes to Saul and says, "Yeah, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill this guy. Okay, I'm just gonna go, I'm just gonna go fight him. All right." And Saul, he tries to act like he's not super excited that David's about to get throttled by this nine-foot, nine seven-hundred-pound man. Remember, David has just recently been anointed to replace Saul as king, and so. Saul uh, may have said, uh, yeah, I I guess if you want to uh, go try to fight him, go for it. And uh, he does something. He takes his armor and he gives it to David. Remember that? Now, what do we know about Saul? What was one of the reasons he was chosen as king? He's a big dude. He's the tallest guy in Israel, head and shoulders above everyone else. So what do we know about Saul's armor? Big dude. Big dude. (laughs) Who <laughs> said big dude the second time that was good? Is that you, Kels? Big dude. And so David, as a youth, would have what in Saul's armor? He would have drowned. And he goes and he puts it on. And I love the way David comes out. He's like still super polite about it. Instead of being like, uh, Saul, you're not too smart. This doesn't fit. He comes out and says, oh, I haven't tested this armor, Saul. So I'm going to go without it. <laughs> okay. That's how I was responding. I haven't tested it yet. So I'm just not going to use it. It's not, dude, are you serious? Come on. You're the king of Israel, and you're not smart enough to see. No, he was very polite. But that was the truth. It was too weighty. It was too heavy. And he couldn't move. He was, he was, uh, it would have been a death trap for him, really, because he couldn't have, have, have done anything. It weighed him down. And we read in, in 1 Samuel, and read in the second here, that David decides to shed man's armor, man's strength, man's own effort for protection, and he exchanges it instead for the armor of God. He lays down everything that would be of man's effort, everything that would be of man's ability and strength to muster up the guts and the courage and the ability to accomplish something, and he sheds it. He says, I don't need that. It won't work, it won't be enough. And instead, he replaces it with the armor of God. First Samuel 17, 45 says this. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head. I love that he just adds that. He tells them how he's going to, I'm going to strike you down, then I'm cut, your, cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. Do you see that? The armor of God is weightless. The armor of God is freeing. The armor of God is joy and healing and power. And David embraces the one thing in this situation that could have caused the victory, and that was God himself. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Isn't that a beautiful picture? And as we examine the armor of God now, remember that this is not meant to weigh us down. This is for our freedom. This is for our good. This is for our joy. And we can embrace it. We can put it on and be, this is is weightless. I've never moved this well before in my life. Verse 14, if you want to turn back into Ephesians 6. I'm actually going to start talking about the passage that I was given. Verse 14. Again, he says it at the beginning. Stand firm, therefore, Having girded your loins with truth, and putting on, having put on the breastplate, breastplate of righteousness. Anytime someone starts talking about girding your loins, you know that it's not language you use today, so I'm just going I'll read the NIV version of it here. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Stand firm then. With the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate plate of righteousness in place. What's the first thing we see in that verse that we we talked about again? He repeats it. Stand firm. He's not saying don't go attack. He's not saying do anything else. Stand firm. Stand firm. The belt of truth buckled around your waist. What is truth? Pilate asked. What is truth? I'll ask you that question. What is truth? is truth? God is truth. Christ is truth. Are we in agreement? Absolutely. That's the next question. Who is truth? Christ is truth. John 14, verse 6. Turn in your Bible there, because I think it will be good for you again to be reminded with your own eyes that this beauty is written right into God's Word. John 14, verse 6 says this Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. This is an amazing, amazing passage. Anyone that ever says to you, you know, Jesus didn't claim to be God, is, it, that's baloney. It, it doesn't get more clear than this. He's saying, guess what? Let me blow your mind for a second. I am the way. I am the truth. You see, Jesus is claiming to be the truth. He is. Jesus is the truth and the belt on the Roman soldier was a piece that held all the other armor together, okay? This, for me, right now, my belt, it just keeps my pants up. And the fatter I get, the more I need this belt. I didn't I even mean, used to need belts other than it was a fashion statement. And now I vitally need a belt and so I can relate a little more to this passage, at least where I know, okay, a belt's important, right? Before it was like, yeah, a belt's just a fashion thing. But for the Roman soldier, the belt held everything together. It was the thing that secured Everything. His sword would be sheathed off of it, but it would keep everything tight so that movement was not impaired. It was the truth that keeps everything together. And who is the truth? It's Jesus. Jesus is the truth. The second piece of armor that Paul mentions, verse 14, is the what? Breastplate of Breastplate of righteousness, very good. Who is righteous? Jesus. He had you had a good chance. I was going That's right. Thank you, Joe. That's right. That's what I was looking for. I wasn't even it wasn't even a trick question. That's right. Jesus is righteous. Next question. Everyone but Joe can answer this one. Who is our righteousness? Jesus. Philippians 3, verse 9 says this. This is beautiful. What is more, I consider everything a loss. Do you understand the language, the power of what he just said there? What is more, I consider everything a loss. He's not talking hyperbole hyperbole here, people. He is saying everything else does not matter. Nothing else matters. This is it. He says, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Listen to this. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in who? In Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Did you hear that? The righteousness that we have is not our own. There is no righteousness on our own. We cannot do enough good things, do enough good works to be righteous, to be considered right in the sight of God. It is impossible. And so instead, we stand on the righteousness of Christ himself. Second Corinthians 5.21 explains how this happened. It says, God made him... Who knew no sin to be sin for us. So that in Him, that is Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Do you understand that our place in Jesus Christ is where our righteousness lies? It's the only way we can be counted as righteous. It's Him, it's Christ, it's about Him. And so the breastplate of a Roman soldier protected them from the onslaught of attack from the enemy, whether it be the fiery darts or the arrows or a blow from a sword. It protected their person's greatest organs and it protected them from the great strength of the opposition. Our righteousness is not our own. You see, ours could never stand. If it was my... My own integrity or my own goodwill or my own effort that was reliant on me to stand against Satan guess what I try that quite a few times and it doesn't work it doesn't hold see I have no righteousness of my own to offer as a defense I have nothing good in me apart from Christ that can stand Do you see the theme here of the armor of God so far? Are you picking up a little bit what what Paul is saying here? Paul is saying, put on the armor of God. But what is he really saying? He's saying, put on Christ. Put on Christ. Colossians 3.10. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of, and the image of its creator. That new self. That new self. Go back to the very first verse of verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. If you read this passage carefully, it is always be strong in. And it's always referring back to in Christ in the Lord our hope our only hope is for us to stand in Christ and the armor of God is a picture of not us by our own works, putting on these really good things that God has to offer. No, the armor of God is a picture of us taking our place, our rightful place because of God's mercy in Christ Jesus to stand in His righteousness, to stand in His goodness, to stand in His power. It's our only defense. When Milo gets freaked out, Milo's my little two-year-old, when Milo gets freaked out What does he do? Well, he cries, he gets frantic. But if I'm there going like this, Milo's coming to me. Why? Because he knows. Listen, I'm little. My dad's big. He runs to me and I grab him and I hold him, right? And in a child's mind, think of this, in a child's mind, everything's okay. Really, no matter what's going on, if you're in your mom and dad's arm and you bury Your head, like right here, where you can't see anything and really can't even hear anything because you're pushing so hard against, you know? Man, there is safety and security there, isn't it? And Paul here in his passage to put on the armor of Christ is saying, put on Christ. Stand firm in Christ. He's your protector. He's your hope. He's the only one that will be able to resist the devil, and the schemes of the devil. He's the only one that will be able to give you hope and peace during the hardness of life. He's the answer. I talked earlier about how the armor of God is not supposed to weigh us down. And that's because the armor of God is all about resting in Christ. About abiding in Christ. In Christ. Turn, if you could, to John 15. We got enough time, so I'm going to read this whole passage, but listen, please, to um, the beauty that's offered to us in our relationship with Christ. John 15 says this I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean. You are already righteous, if you will, because of the words which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, rest in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Listen to this. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Listen, we all know hundreds of our friends that have been thrown away because they did not abide or rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when the devil came for them, when their own flesh came for them, they had no ground to stand on. Verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this. My God loves this, he's saying, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be be made full. The call is to put on Christ or to abide in Him in the strength of His might. My challenge, or I, I believe the Spirit's challenge to us this morning is to acknowledge that we are at war, to acknowledge that um, there is a craziness right outside our door that is happening every day and destroying and seeking to destroy us. And instead of on our own strength, fighting against that, the call this morning is to, to crawl up into the arms of Jesus, to experience His peace, to experience His joy, to rest in His truth, to fully embrace His righteousness as our own. You see, we don't have to fight because He stands and fights for us. And that's a promise that is is so, so sweet, especially when you're in the face of of destruction of your soul. To know that, uh, obviously I can't do this, Lord, but I know You can. In fact, I know You've already won. I want to be the type of person that at all times understands that I am resting in the righteousness of of Jesus. At all times understanding how much grace is being shown to me at all times because of my place now inside of Christ. I don't want to forget and get distracted by stupid things in life, stupid things that are, uh, are causing my destruction, are causing other people's destruction. And I don't want to be fearful. I don't want to be afraid um, of ISIS and and of other uh, things and persecution that's coming. I I don't want to be fearful of that, and I don't need to be. Because I can just rest in Christ. And I can put on God's armor, which is His truth and His righteousness and His peace and His gospel, and I can rest. Even in the middle of warfare, I can rest. Let's pray. Father, the, the fact that you have done all this on our behalf is, um, God, it should change me. It should make me so grateful. And Father, I pray that we would wake up today if we have been tricked by our own flesh or tricked by, by Satan and his demons themselves into taking a nap in the middle of the battlefield, God, I pray you would wake us up. And then, Father, instead of us feeling like with this great energy we can conquer or we can do all these things in our own power and our own strength, God, I pray that you would instead help us to yield and to crawl into your arms and say, please go fight this fight for me because I can't. Jesus, what a privilege to know You. What a privilege to be in You. What a privilege to know that all of who we are now rests in who You are. God, I pray that we would continue to abide in You, that You would teach us Your truth, that You would teach us Your righteousness regularly. God, help us to stand firm in Christ, I pray in Your name. Amen.